Hey, y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith America podcast. This is volume 100 something, and it's a big one today. We have a couple guests, including um, Sean Wade, who today, this is Monday, September 14th, 2020, announced that he was going to declare for the NFL draft and thereby forego his final season at the Ohio State University. Um, and we're going to have the opportunity to chat with Sean about that decision, why, why now is right. He's held out and held out and held out, waiting to see if the Big Ten would change its mind and what decision might be made there. there at this moment, it's about 2.30 in the afternoon on that Monday. There's been no decision made yet in terms of a final vote that might overturn the previous decision not to play. Obviously, many landmark moments yet to be determined with the Big Ten Conference, but Sean Wade has made the decision, it seems, to go pro. Uh, I have several questions that I can't wait to ask him. Typically, to be honest with you guys, fully transparent, we tape these opens after the interview is done. That is not the case today. We are going to roll this interview with Sean straight in. And so we, at this very moment, as we chat, have as many questions as you are and eagerly await his perspective just as badly as you do. After we talk to Sean, uh, Ryan McGee, my buddy from Marty and McGee, is going to call in, senior writer for ESPN.com. Co-host of Marty and McGee is going to join us to discuss his new book, Sidelines and Bloodlines. And we always have a good time with McGee, cutting up, raising hell, acting the fool. And uh, so we'll have fun with him, too, and, and I'm sure learn a lot about why writing that book was so important to him and so special, special not only to him but to his father, Dr. Jerry McGee, and his brother, Sam McGee. They wrote that book together, and uh, I haven't gotten my copy yet, but I expect it to be showing up in the mail any time. I ordered it a couple weeks ago, and it comes out on Tuesday, September 15th, which is, again, tomorrow as we tape this podcast. Before we get to Sean and all the questions that I have prepared for him, I also want to take a second to remind you guys to check out the Dan Lebitard Show with Stu Gotts. It's on live now on ESPN Radio and ESPN News, Monday through Friday, 10 to 12 Eastern Time. But they also have been generating original content before and after the network broadcast portion. Download and subscribe to the Dan Lebitard Show with Stu Gotts and Marty Smith America, wherever y'all get your podcasts. And now it's time for the aforementioned conversation with Ohio State All-American defensive back Sean Wade about why he's leaving Columbus. As we said, uh, we're joined now by Sean Wade, Ohio State captain, projected first-round draft pick, in the NFL, returned to school for his senior season only to see the coronavirus pandemic disallow it, at least until this point. So, Sean, before we get into everything you're managing right now and the decision to declare for the NFL draft, let's start with your decision to return to Ohio State this season. I've seen Mm -hmm. your previous statements that you do not have regrets in that decision. But what were the factors that led to that decision rather than going pro like Jeff Okuda did, for example. One big factor was I wanted to I wanted to graduate. My family didn't get the privilege to go to college and go to a big university like the Ohio State University, and that was just a big thing on my bucket list I wanted to do. And then just to show show everybody I could play outside corner, 
And then another thing is winning national championships. That's what you come to Ohio State to do is win. So I feel like we fell short last year. I feel like this team this year is a great team to, to do that with and lead this team to win national championships. So. What happens if you guys did – if there was no coronavirus and you guys got to play as expected, what do you think the potential of the team was? We had so much potential. We had a whole old line coming back except for one person. And then you had – like, you had Jeff Okuda leave, and you had Damon Arrett leave, and Jordan Fuller, but you had a whole bunch of good other guys that played a lot during the season, like Josh Proctor, Seven Banks, Cam. They played a lot during the season. Like, even Team Up North game, you got to – people have to really realize that that Team Up North game, me or Damon didn't play that game. There was a lot of young guys out there making plays out there. So, I just felt like we had a lot of talent out there and just – with, with Justin at quarterback, with Olave at receiver, Garrett at receiver, plus them, them incoming freshmen that came in, all of them are nice. So we just had a great team overall. We, we was deep at every position, D-line, linebacker, corners, to the offensive side of the ball. We were just deep. So I, I just felt like this year was a year for us. What factors led to you deciding to opt out of your final year at Ohio State and, and head to the NFL draft? It was no clarity with the Big Ten. Um, they ended up canceling our season. It had been a month since it had been canceled, and they kept on saying they was going to vote, the season was going to come back. But I just felt like every week it just kept on getting pushed back and pushed back. And at the end of the day, I graduated. So it's like I'm not I'm not there for a paper, and I'm there for football. And I just felt like they was just playing with us. And it just – it was I was being as patient as I could. I was being very, very patient. Compared to other Big Ten schools, Ohio State, we was being patient, trying to wait and wait and wait. And it's at the end of the day, you, you got to make a decision. Like, time do not wait on no man. So, And that kind of leads me to my follow-up. You know, when I saw your, the, your announcement to, today on Twitter, the very first thing that came into my mind was, why now? Because it seems like we're on the precipice here of the Big Ten presidents voting yet again. Mm-hmm. So why, why, why now? Why today? I just felt like it was a sign from God from the get-go. I, um. It was a green grasshopper at the front of my door, and I woke up one morning. It was a green grasshopper. I came back. The grasshopper was still there. So the next day I woke up, the grasshopper was still there. And I live on the third floor now. So, like, <laughs> I, I'm just – I looked it up, and it was just like a sign for God, just like it's time to move on with your life. So um, I just felt like it was just time to move on, and and I, great things would be uphold. But um, really, I just felt it was just time to move on, and it, it just was stressful. It was very, very stressful with my family and everything that everything that's going on with even with Black Lives Matter, with the presidency, with the election about to come. It's just a lot going on right now. It's a lot. It's, it's too much going on. But yeah, I just felt like it was the right time. When you looked up the green grasshopper parable, what did it say? So it was just really like moving forward. Don't don't go backwards or stay where you at. It's time to move forward, really. Hmm. That's really interesting. So. Mm-hmm. So can can we sit here and say, okay, you're done at Ohio State. No matter what happens with this vote, are you done and you're going to the league? So the only thing is I haven't signed yet. So if, if these next couple of days I can get a vote and I feel comfortable with the protocols that they have, I might re- reconsider coming back. But the, uh, that's another thing. It's a lot of protocols they they just not talking about. And I don't know if they're, that's what they're talking about now with the schedule and everything, but um, – I just I just need everything on the line before I just come back right away. I just, if it was just they they say we have a season, that's nothing, in my opinion, and that's just how I feel. You know, one one of the biggest biggest frustrations. I talked to your dad too. You know, I interviewed mm-hmm. your dad here on Marty Smith's America, 
And I, I, we've seen what Coach Day has written, and we've seen what Coach Harbaugh up in Michigan has said recently, mm -hmm. Scott Frost at Nebraska, that you guys are getting no answers. Yeah, and that's so, it's no clarity. It's just none. But even if we're amateurs, I feel like, that we're like they're calling us, well, they need to tell our parents and our coaches so they can get us an answer since we're amateurs. But it was just no clarity. There's no clarity with the coaches, and they're the ones that's, like, supposed to be our father figure at the end of the day. So, like, when they come back and tell us, like, we all know what we're going to do, and, like, they're practicing right now. Like, what if somebody tear the ACL because we they still don't know what, if we're going to have a season? And that, that that's going to hurt somebody's career in life. You know what I'm saying? That's why I wasn't up there practicing because if there's no clarity, we don't know what's still going to happen. If, I feel like there's just no reason for us to practice and everything. Sean, what does that lack of clarity and information hanging over your head do to you emotionally? What has this month been like for you? It's been a stressful month. Just found out my grandma, she, she's – She's saying, my great grandma actually. She's um, she she just said that she she's ready to go, and her birthday is supposed to be coming up Friday. Like it's it's, it's a lot going on that people just don't know, but it, it it's it's just a lot. And even with with the not playing and everything, the no clarity, it's just a lot. And then I graduated, so it's like I didn't want to be there just doing school for no reason. And that, that's another thing. So it just was very very stressful, very stressful. A lot of thinking. A lot of talking to people that I, I trust. I feel like the decision I made is just the best decision for me and my family. I don't want to pry. So you can, you can opt out of this one if you want to. But you, mm -hmm. you just said something that intrigued me. I've been doing a lot of thinking. Mm -hmm. When you're in that solitude and you know you have this bright future, but you also know you have these brothers that you made the decision to come back and play with. Mm -hmm. That's a big tug of war, Sean. It, it what are you is. thinking? Like what, what's going through your mind and your thought process? It was. It just was a lot. Um, cause at the end of the day, my my whole life I've been winning. I won four state championships. Um, little league. I won national championship. Um, played basketball AU at the highest you could play in 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 high school. And playing with Kevin Knox. I played with Kevin Knox. I guarded college Colin Sexton. Like I always been at the top of the top. So I feel like I have to like get a national championship. That's the goal. Like, cause I've been winning my whole life. I want to win everything. So that's just how I've been. And just having, having to just make this decision was hard. It's because I'm not a selfish person. Because even last year playing nickel, I could have been like, no, I don't want to play nickel. I want to play corner. But I didn't say that because I want to play and I want to win. And if I'm the best person that could play nickel on this team, I'm going to do it for my brothers because I want to win. And that's just how I felt. But at the end of the day, you have to grow up. You just got to make grown man decisions. And I just, this was one of them I had to make. When was the last time you practiced with Ohio State? August or September, beginning of September. It was so wonderful. this is something that you've been thinking about for a couple of weeks anyway. Yeah, it's it been a couple of weeks. It's been a couple of weeks, definitely. We've seen how vocal your dad's been, and he's made it very clear that it was never specifically about you. Mm -mm. What, was, what, what was he trying to accomplish with being so vocal? Really, he just – he cared about kids. That's that just how he was raised. His dad is a preacher. So, like, he just cared about kids, and he understands – if we're canceling the Big Ten and then some kid, some school is shutting down, you're, some of these kids are going back to a household where they have nothing. And, like, going to college is their everything. So, like, he just felt like with Justin doing the petition as a father, he had to do something. And he, he didn't know what to do, but he tried his hardest. And he ended up doing a whole bunch of protests and different things. But it's just, it's just hard because, you know, you, you I've been around a lot of my friends that they just – 
they really didn't have no household at home. Like they didn't have nothing at home. So he understands that that some kids just don't have nothing when they leave college. And they love being there because that's all they got is football in college. And then these coaches, like these coaches are real deal good father figures to a lot of to a lot of people that they just don't know that. It's just not about football at the end of the day. Like like you have to teach people things. And these coaches, I know Ohio State, they teach us a lot about life, financing money. It's a lot of things Ohio State teach that a lot of people just don't know about that. It just it just helped a lot of kids with their life. So we you know we've heard from from many of your peers. I know Trevor Lawrence from Clemson came out and said it very very bluntly that quote we're safer in the football bubble than we are anywhere else in terms yeah. of COVID social unrest all of these things. What's your perspective on that, Sean? I definitely agree agree what he said. Like some some people go home and they they barely eat because their parents just don't got it like that. Like people don't understand. Like the check that we get sometimes you have to send that home to your parents so they can pay their rent, have lights under their roof, um, make sure your brother and sister eat. Like, and I just feel like a lot of people don't understand understand that it's 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 bigger than football in my opinion. And I, I definitely agree with Trevor. We're safer where we are, and. Really, it's just it's just crazy how this pandemic just hit and everything. But that's just that's life. At, at the end of the day, you want to have events in your life, and you gotta you gotta respond the right way. Couple more things, and I'll get you out of here, bud. Walk me through when you guys were pra- before you did leave practice. What you guys had to do in order to adhere to the COVID protocols that Ohio State and Coach Day had put in place. What what did, what all did that entail? Our social life, we can't go out. We had to stay inside. Like, we knew we wanted to play football. So even, like, the freshmen that just just got there in that summer, like, they, they stayed inside, made sure made sure they didn't – they wasn't around people that had COVID. Really, everybody did the protocols that we were supposed to do. Ohio State did everything they were supposed to do. We was getting tested twice a week. Like, we did everything. It's just crazy how the Big Ten just kind of – I, I want to say gave up, but kind of get this can, the cancellation with the bit, with the season, so – what are your hopes and dreams right now? My hopes and dreams is that NCAA and everybody notice that we should have a word in, in things that goes on. Definitely, that's one of the biggest things. And really just get my body right, get prepared for the draft, and really just help out the community. That's, that's, that's something I'm about to really grind on. But this time period, I got eight months grinding on helping out the community of Jacksonville, Alabama, where I was born, Columbus, going back and giving back to people because – at the end of the day, you got to understand it's, it's people that do not have nothing. And you have to get back. So that, that's, that's my goal right now is to find ways to get back to people. Yeah, how do you want to do that? Um, I got different ideas. Um, going to the homeless shelter. I, I had one idea. I don't know. I have to really sit down and find out how I do it. But it's like kind of just going, you know how people buy houses from, from poor poor neighborhoods and stuff? Yeah. Instead of buying houses, I'll, I'll see, see if I could just get people to remodel the house and like make the house look better for other people, like build more rooms, just make it more, more comfy for a family that, that doesn't have nothing. And then if I buy the house from them, I'll give them a cheaper rent and just, I, I'm just trying to find a way how I could do that. Cause I know my girlfriend, her dad just bought a house and I went to go check it out. And I was just thinking like, what if I went to a poor privileged neighborhood, remodeled their house in two weeks, did everything, made their rent trip cheaper. And just, that, that'll, make, that'll put a smile on somebody's face. I really put a smile on somebody's face. So that, that's, that's something I'm thinking of, but I, I got to find out through the numbers and all that, how, how, to, how I can do all that. Sean, I'm not only intrigued, but I'm thoroughly impressed. When a lot of 
young people are in a position where they stand to make a whole lot of money mm-hmm. in a hurry. That is not the very first thing that's top of mind. Helping other people is not number one on their priority list. Mm-hmm. Maybe getting a material item or buying their own home is top mm-hmm. of mind. How did you get to the place where that was top of mind for you? So what happened was, it's crazy how it happened. I was going, it was this boy, he posted on Facebook. He didn't post, it was somebody that posted on Facebook, this boy, he wanted to play football, but he's not in school right now. He was in middle school, he's not in school. He wasn't playing football, had no gear. So I was like, okay. My dad sent it to me, I said, I'll do this today. It was like a day thing, I just did it. I came back home, grabbed all the gear I had here, cleats, old cleats, gloves. I took it to him. But when I was driving, I was with my girlfriend, I was driving, I was driving past the neighborhoods that I, I'm going to say, I, I, I didn't be around, but I knew some people I was around. I was looking at the house and I was just thinking, like, dang, how can I make this just look better in Jacksonville? And it, it just came to a thought that, that that was just a thought I had. And I know I put a smile on the boy face because I know this lady bought all his uniforms for school. They're going to put him in school. Um, He got some, he got football gear, he got cleats. So I know he's happy right now, but I just, I just, I want to make, like a lot of people happy, like parents and everything. That's just a goal of mine. That's how my dad was. Like every time, every time we had an event going, he made me, my brother and sister go. Cause at the end of the day, my, my granddad's a preacher and he always gave back. He always made sure everybody was straight. So it's just a tradition that the Wade family has. Sean, you are a light in the world, young man. I Thank appreciate you. your perspective. I appreciate your time. Thank you for that light because you made me better today. I appreciate your selflessness. Good luck with everything that you're doing. And, um, and thank you again for your time, my man. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Wow. Um, what unbelievable maturity. What unbelievable selflessness. What unbelievable perspective from a young man who has the brightest of futures, who came back to Travis Rockhold University, to win a national title, to gra- first, I love to graduate. I want to graduate because my family deserves for me to graduate. So he passed up on the NFL to come back. And those NFL teams that were thinking about him, uh, one, I want you to listen to the podcast just because, but if you want to know what kind of person you might be drafting, just listen to this interview. You're getting a baller on and off the field. Like a, a legit guy that wants to do good. That, that last little bit, um, I'm really taken by the selflessness that he just discussed. If you're in a position where you're about to, you know, do really well financially, which uh, Mel Kuyper, our draft expert, has shown as a first rounder. And Travis, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he has him seventh on his big board right now. Sixth on the big board, the f- number one DB. Number one DB in the country. So – that's one of the most coveted positions in any draft. And so this is a young man who stands to he, – he's going to make a whole lot of money. And the very first thing that he says he wants to do with it is not, hey, I want to go buy myself material item X or I want to go buy my, my parents material item X. I want to help those who need the help. I want to – like, I loved his thought. I want to put smiles on people's faces. That's all I want. And to hear someone say that was a reminder to me that that's what I need to be doing. And that's the perspective that I need to take into every day. And 
you know, he didn't rule out that his college career is over, but he definitely let us know about the, the frustration with the Big Ten, the fact that they're not getting any answers, the fact that if we are, quote, amateurs, uh, we definitely need a bigger say as players. And just a tremendous interview, just a tremendous young man and a tremendous interview. And I see McGee joined. So before we get that, people, you know, are saying he opted out. Sean Wade didn't opt out. He might declare for the draft, but the Big Ten opted out. He didn't opt out. He came back no, to play. He, he came back to Columbus, Ohio to, to avenge the Clemson loss and to have an opportunity to win a national title with an insanely talented football team, stocked with talent. I mean, just ridiculous. But, okay, well, so, so thank you so much to Sean Wade, All-American DB for the Ohio State, uh, who today declared for the NFL draft. We appreciate his thoughts and perspective. And speaking of thoughts and perspective, let's bring in McGee now uh, for some thoughts and perspective on his new book, which will hit shelves tomorrow as we sit here. It's September 15th. Sidelines and Bloodlines, a book that he had in the works for, for a long time and was a dream for a long time. And he managed to, despite an unbelievably challenging schedule, facilitate with his father, Dr. Jerry McGee, and his brother, Sam McGee. Uh, and I imagine we're among the final interviews of his pre-release media onslaught. What's that been like, son? It's been awesome. Because... I have written books that people had no idea they even like were being published. Like it just, there wasn't any promotion. Like I was so naive when I wrote my first book 11 years ago, I thought, yeah, man, here we go. We're going to promote this thing. And we didn't hardly at all. And this one has been, uh, there's been a lot, which is great. You know, the deal, man, you'd rather be busy. Cause that means people know that it's coming. And by the way, Travis, while we got you here, uh, there's a lot in this book that completely undermines the whole, the McGee family hates Ohio State theory because. Well, so that's my question: is what chapter in there is it where your dad and you talk about how you have even since his retirement screwed yeah. over Ohio State in games? What chapter? Those yeah. chapters will be redacted for anyone right. who's an Ohio State fan. Yeah, no, there's so my dad worked two bowl games with Ohio State. He worked a Citrus Bowl against BYU in '86, which which Ohio State won. And he worked the 97 Rose Bowl against Arizona State, which Ohio State won. And dad had two – my dad never threw his flag. And he had two of the pass interference calls against Arizona State on that final drive for Ohio State after Jake Plummer thought he'd won the game. So, anyway, I don't know. Um, I, I wish there was an easy way to, like, wear, like, a sign – like, a, what, a sandwich board that said my dad had two pass interference calls against Arizona State – in the 97 Rose Bowl, so people would quit throwing Crown Royal bottles at Oh, me. that was my line. It. I was going to say, no, we can't have that because then the Crown Royal story goes away. No, so this yeah. is what I, I I told people on Twitter. I said, if you don't like McGee, buy his book and then throw it at him. Yeah, yeah, I'd much rather you do that because, uh, yeah. But uh, but anyway, like I said, like I said a million times, the good news is that guy drank all that Crown Royal, so he missed me by about 30 feet. But, yeah, what but no, the? I'm – but I'm excited, man. It's you know the deal. I I was so thankful that I was with you at SEC Media Days when you got your first shipment of Never Settle. Like literally watched you. I took a picture of you. You opened the box and you just stared at him. And I go, dude, I want to take a picture of that book. I still have it on my phone. 
And it's just you never believed, at least I never believed I would write a book. And and to write one with my dad and my brother is just um, opening up that box for the first time a couple of weeks ago. I mean, just sitting here holding it right now, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And it's beautiful and it's overwhelming and it's humbling. And because there's just so much of yourself that you have to put into that type of book. Like you wrote the type of book that it's, it's born, its foundation is fathers and sons and memories built through college football. And when that's the case, sometimes you got to go to places that aren't, you don't readily go to on a daily basis. And that's kind of what I had to do with never settle in a lot of cases. And I wonder what that process was like for you. What was the most emotional moment? What, what was the most, I I don't even know if difficult is the right word. People have asked me that about, the difficulty of writing about my parents or whatever. I don't know that it was the most difficult, but it definitely demanded the most of me from a vulnerability perspective. What was that for you? Yeah, I wasn't ready to be as emotional as I was because I, like I, like I said, I've been fortunate to write a couple of other books. And, you know, the one with the, the one, the book with Dale Jr. hit on some really, really sensitive topics. I mean, it was the basically his entire book was about his health. Mm-hmm. And and the time I when I sat you wrote about her and never settled, but Amy Earnhardt the first time I sat down with her just me and her in the house talking about all of that and she that was super emotional for her it wasn't for me I was at work you know I, I was transcribing uh, but for 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 us you know we lost my mother very unexpectedly in the spring in the it was last day of February nineteen ninety nine she went to bed with a headache and never woke up and um when we got to that it's the shortest chapter in the book is the chapter about 1999 and my my mother passes away in the middle of the chapter and it ends with dad had the y2k liberty bowl um like a new year's eve game and then my brother went down to bill street and i the, the line in the book is i'm paraphrasing but basically the line in the book is is that the good news is y2k came and went and the world didn't end and the better news was that 1999 was over with because uh, that was the year we lost my mother. And, and you're talking about March, April, May, June, July, August. It wasn't until football started that dad finally had an escape, you know, and, and, and once he returned to the field and all of his old friends, you know, he had just come back to the ACC from the Big East. All his old friends from the 80s that he started with, he was paired with the, called the Virginia crew. Almost everybody in the crew was from Virginia. It was all of dad's old school referees. Must buddies. have been a great group of men. Oh, it was, um, yeah, there you go. It was, yeah, it was the regiment. And the, uh, but, but those guys put their arms around dad, literally that entire fall and him going to places and seeing Frank Beamer and seeing Lou Holtz and seeing these coaches he'd worked with on sidelines forever and how everyone embraced him. And then once the game started, it was just the game and that's what he needed. So anyhow, that's a long way of saying it was, it was much more emotional and painful. We never went to therapy. None of the three of us did any therapy after my mother passed away, and we should have. Same here, and man. Finally, you know, 20 years later, we kind of went through some therapy by, you know, writing that one chapter in the book. You know, not this is about you. I don't want to get off on a me tangent, but after I wrote the, the chapter, Keep Your Money and in, in Never Settle, about my, my mother giving my friends lunch money, and we didn't know it until well after she was dead. And my dad, after my dad died, 
I remember writing that chapter and going in and sitting at the kitchen island in my house here. And I was very quiet and I had that glassy look in my eyes, just like complete looking through people, not looking at them, looking yep. through them. Yep. And Lainey was just staying on me about, you know, what's going on with you? What is wrong with you? And yep. I just told her that I had just finished that chapter and she maintains to this minute. If she walked around the corner right now, she would maintain that I still need to go to therapy because yep. she's like, you have that stuff locked away. I'm afraid it's going to come out someday. I know it's not. I got that part handled. It's, it's put in a compartmentalized area of my soul. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. You put it away. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's uh, well, when we learned that, you know, Nana Lynn that you hear every Saturday morning on Marty McGee, Marty we lost, Na McGee. We lo exactly. We lost Nana Lynn a year and a half ago. And my wife learned from my experience, you know, go talk to somebody. And so, yeah, and, and I think that in a lot of ways, I know your book helped me. I think that that chapter where we talk about, and we, we write about mom throughout the entire book. It's impossible not to. In fact, the book, the book ends with, with the comment about mom. But the, uh, but that one chapter, that one 1999 season, man, it was, um, I mean, football saved, saved our lives. It's, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, same here. No question about it. Um, I got one more. I know you got to hop here in just a second for another engagement because, hey, man, media tours don't stop, son. That's right. It's uh, we're, we're a big deal. You know? it's, hey, uh, it's good to yeah. be a big deal. It's good That's to right. be a big deal. <laughs> um, it's amazing when people, people, after a book comes out, I know you experienced this and Dale experienced this with, with the book about his, his concussion battle. Uh, and you're going to experience this, and I've been blessed to experience it too. What do you hope people take away from everything you put into this? Well, I, I think two things. Um, and, and again, to your comment, don't, I don't want to make it about me, but this was all about dad. This was all about my brother and my dad and myself. It was really about my brother, my brother and I telling, let everybody know, who dad is and how he's to this day. I'm so thankful he's still with us and he influences my life. I talk to him every day. Um, and it's also, you know, it's that, it's that sidelines and bloodlines. I love that title so much because that, why Me do we too. love sports? It's you and your daddy going to Lane Stadium, just Travis and his dad rooting for the Buckeyes. You know, it's, it's that connection that you have. And then my brother and I had it, you know, I would argue deeper than most just because we got to experience like actually your dad's on the field in the game. And that's how I learned football. But the other thing, too, is just a general thing is officials are human, man. Whether it's an umpire in a World Series or whether it's my dad in the Rose Bowl or whether it's the guy who has volunteered to referee your kids' church basketball games on Saturday morning. Um, for the most part, they're all doing it. Overwhelmingly, they're all doing it for the right reasons, to, for the integrity of the game and because they love it. College football officials love football on a level that, that few do. And no one believes that, but they're not getting paid hardly anything. And you're never going to be famous. You're just going to be infamous. And you're just doing it. You, 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 and these are captains of industry. My dad's crew was FBI agents and software CEOs and Pulitzer Prize nominees. And dad was a university president. And they volunteered on Saturday to get paid $750 to get, you know, have their relationship with their mother's question by a drunk guy in section two, you know? So you have to love it. So this has to just officials are human and and sports bring families together and can get you through the toughest times so that that's that's what i want everybody to think about i love it man i can't wait to read it my, my copy should be showing up 
anytime. I mean, I ordered You know it. a guy. Yeah. Well, Next I ordered my yeah. copy. I, I paid know. for mine. I, I am supporting yeah. my friend. And I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, that. It yeah. ought to be showing up, I reckon, first thing in the morning. We'll see. But uh, I'm proud of you. I'm so glad that it's been such a fulfilling ride. And I know that fulfillment will continue as we carry on. And so many people uh, give you the, the amazing feedback of how it's touched their life and impacted their life. So you're T-minus about 90 seconds from your next interview. So Right. I appreciate um, you. I, well, I appreciate you bringing me on here, and uh, uh, we'll just we're, you and I are going to have to remember what you said the Columbia Record Club. Yeah, where like you pay us a penny, and then they keep ninety nine CDs. Yeah, we need we need to have the uh, we need to have the Marty McGee Book Club because now we got enough of them, and then you and I should write one together, and that'll be you know. It was like like when you get those cards teaching about the animals to your house when you're a kid. We keep <laughs> sending people books. I don't know if. I don't know if one penny that might be a little steep for our work. We might need yeah, well, to, we might need true. to, you yeah. know, Venmo us a Venmo us an a moon pie and you can have our book. Um, <laughs> all right, man. Appreciate you. Have a great day. And, uh, and we'll chat with you real soon, bro. Thank you. And now damn, I want somebody to Venmo me a moon pie. That's awesome. Well, oatmeal pie. Look, you know, we've had the little Debbie discussion. Oatmeal yeah, pie yeah. is greater than moon pie. Sorry. Yeah, well, I'll take, I'll take, right now, I'll take any kind of pie. Sidelines and bloodlines. Thank you. <laughs> See you, bud. As we say, uh, the book comes out Tuesday. Sidelines and bloodlines, y'all can get it anywhere. You can get it at your local indie bookstore. You can get it at Amazon. Go on the interweb and find it. But I can't wait to read that. Uh, he's a great writer, and his relationship with his dad and his brother are very special. So that one's going to be a good one. Y'all check it out. Um, again, thanks so much to Sean Wade. Travis, great job. Look, y'all need to understand, Travis went and got Sean Wade. Travis put in the work. He went and and went, as soon as Sean Wade announced that he was declaring for the draft, Travis went to find out who that person was that, that might be able to get us to Sean. And, uh, and what an unbelievable interview. I am a better man for having had the opportunity to spend 15 or 20 minutes with a young man of that character. So thank you to Sean for impacting my life. Uh, I know it probably impacted you guys too, hearing uh, the way that he wants to live his life. Uh, thanks so much to McGee for coming on. Uh, always appreciate spending time with him. Marty and McGee on Saturday was a spectacle of colossal proportions. Uh, if you guys didn't see it, I was at the Ember Glow Campground uh, over in Western North Carolina. I guess we should get into this. Let's go. I guess we should get into this. I have, uh, as we sit here, I have about 13 minutes before my production call for the University of Central Florida Knights at the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets this coming Saturday to be my first game on the sidelines this fall. I'll be part of the broadcast team with Joe Tessitore and Greg McElroy. Really looking forward to that unique experience of being in an, in an empty stadium. But uh, this past weekend, I was at the Emberglow Resort. Now, this place is killer, man. It's out in Mill Spring, North Carolina. And it was, it's a gentleman named Tim and his wife. And they went out and they bought nine Airstream trailers and they stationed them around this. They bought 75 acres. They stationed it around this property. And it's amazing. So they not only have those, uh, the Airstreams, but they have these, they have tree, like high-end tree houses. 
with beds in them. They have these things called yurts, which I never heard of a yurt before. They have... Wait, no, what is a yurt? It's like a circular house. It's like a big circular house that it has... I don't know. Lainey could tell you better. She actually went and saw the yurt. I was in the middle of Marty and McGee when they went and looked at the yurt. But I can tell you, this place is awesome. So y'all should go check it out. Again, it's called Emberglow. This is not a paid endorsement by any stretch. But I, we had so much fun there. It was Lainey and myself. It was our neighbors, Tony and Julie. And it was our, our friends, uh, Sean and Emily, Greg and Holly, John and Ann, Mark and Jenny, and Todd and Jennifer. We have been friends with this group for 20 years. We've had a supper club group. We go way back to pre-kids when we were getting hammered and passing out on each other to now we had, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'd have to count. I don't have the time to count. It was probably 20 kids between the, the six couples running around, having a blast, 10 boys, 15 and under, they were like the outsiders, man. They were like walking around with no shirts on, lighting fires and having a good time. And just like a blast sitting around a campfire, drinking some Jack Daniels and listening to 90s country and catching up on life, like real life, not, hey man, how's your job? I'm talking about conversations of depth, conversations about real things that we all manage. And we're all managing so much right now with COVID and and how that's impacting our lives and careers and schools. And I mean, it is 3.50 in the afternoon right now as Travis and I are taping this. Lainey has been a teacher all day long. We have three kids in virtual school and she's been hopping back and forth all day long. Among them, I would, I should probably be helping a little better. But again, I have a college football game to prepare for. I've been spent my whole day prepping for this Georgia Tech UCF game. Well, they didn't have to ask you about your job because you did your job in front of them, which created the greatest live shot, I'm going to say, in the history of live shots. No question. And, and I woke up, so we got there on Friday early enough for me to do what's called faxing out the shot. That's when you set up the shot, you dial into transmission at ESPN, which is the group of really smart people who put you on the satellite and end up on people's TVs. And you need Wi-Fi to do that. So in order to make sure that the Wi-Fi was strong enough for me to do Marty and McGee on TV, I faxed it out on Friday. Shot looked great. Well, I'm a complete idiot. I did that in the daytime and did not think about the fact that I needed to set up all my lights because it was pitch black for the first half of Marty and McGee. So I shoot out of bed. I went to bed probably, I don't know, midnight, 1 a.m. after four or five old fashions. It was big. And a lot of Travis Tritt and a lot of Tracy Bird and a lot of Alabama and a lot of Hank Jr. And so I get up, shoot up out of bed about 5.30, and I was like, oh, no, I don't have enough power down here. So I ran up to this pavilion. I finally get everything set up, fax out with, with Randy, our, our TV producer, uh, around 6.15 a.m. So I'm feeling good about myself. Well, up the hill walks Captain Yenny. My neighbor, Tony, he has on a tank top, his captain hat that he wears when he drives his RV around. It looks like a, like a boat captain's hat. Totally boat captain hat. He sets up his flat top grill behind me in the shot. He cooked breakfast for the whole dang campground, the entire three hours of Marty and McGee. He was the star of the show. 
the funniest thing that happened was my buddy Greg Morin, who is a massive human being. He's six foot six, six seven, somewhere around there. He's right at three bills. He's my bodyguard. I tell you, he's one of my best friends. He's been one of my best friends for half my life. And anytime I go anywhere where I might need a little assistance, Greg accompanies me. Greg was once for years during Jimmy Johnson's championship run, the pit crew coach for the number 88 team driven by Dale Jr. and the number 48 team driven by Jimmy Johnson at Hendrick Motorsports. So uh, he's a very large man and he walks into frame at one point. And dude, you guys got to understand, Marty and McGee is like the show made for Twitter because it's so, we're so interactive on that medium as we're in the middle of the show. And I look down in the middle of the show and someone, I forget your name, brother, I'm sorry, has written in and said, who is the eclipse with legs behind Marty? <laughs> Dude, I fell out. Because we pick on Greg all the time for being a Neanderthal and Sasquatch and all that mess. And so he's now the human eclipse. He's got a new nickname. And just so fun. I mean, we just had a blast. And thank you to every one of you guys who support Marty and McGee and Marty Smith's America because it's just so fun to this spend is, that day, that, that morning with you guys. Clayton Yates, who is a big supporter of the show and has been on the show a few times, tweeted out legendary levels of yeehaw from Marty McGee this morning. So that's kind of, if you need to understand what it was like, that's what Clinton had to say, yeehaw. Well, Cat Muni uh, stole the show and made – delectable plates of food for us all. And it was funny because at one point I was looking down at my computer screen and McGee, I think, thought I was looking at my plate of food. He's like, are you just staring at that plate of food? That's I was like, what no, it no, no, no. Like. I'm reading my computer screen. And I was saying, I mean, y'all probably know by now, I'm a little bit of a spiritual soul and a Christian and all that stuff. So I might've just sent up a, hey man, thanks for the food. So it was just so fun, and, and I'm so glad that y'all enjoyed it so much. I mean, Twitter, social media was crazy. I think what we need to do, and, you know, Marty McGee's got the massive budget, we need to take the whole show down there. Seven campers, you know, Randy, I'll, you know, get a couple cameramen, and let's just do the whole show there. I'll go down there, and we just live. Let's go. All in. And I mean, I'm I, sure Tim. I know you got that. You guys got that big budget from the those TV commercials that you money that you guys make. Massive yeah. budget on the Marty and McGee program. Massive budget. Uh, but I'm sure Tim over at Emberglow would love that. He would welcome us with open arms. And he put his little girl. I don't know if you were watching at that time, Travis. But near the end of the show, his little girl got up for the morning, and his wife went to Auburn. She's War Damn Eagle, hardcore. And so their sweet little girl, who was I think. I don't know, one, 18 months, two, somewhere around in there, was wearing a sweet little Auburn cheerleader outfit. And he put her in the frame, and she was super cute. But just a lot of fun, man. And thank you guys for caring. Thank you for your support of Marty McGee. Thank you so much for your support of Marty Smith's America. We love doing this every week, and we love spending this time with you guys and sharing a little bit of our lives. Um, Travis, great job getting Sean, brother. Uh, thanks again to McGee for joining us. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials all over the country, keeping our community safe, our firemen, first responders for running into the flames and risking their own lives to, to save other people's lives. And speaking of risking their lives, thank you so much to the United States military, our men and women in uniform for keeping us free. We live in the greatest nation. Thank you guys. Have an amazing week. We'll try better next time. Next time we'll have Ask Marty. 
we've run out of time this time. I got this big conference call. I got to hop on right now for the UCF Georgia Tech game. If you're in the 404, we'll see you this weekend. Be good, everybody.